It's Thursday night. Time for the Psychic View with your hosts, Miss Peg, Maureen, Anton, and Allura. During the second half of the show, call in to connect for your free reading. Join us during this transpersonal collective experience. Welcome to the Psychic View on Psychic Access Talk Radio, sponsored by PsychicAccess.com, where all the psychics are interviewed, verified, and accuracy tested, ensuring you the highest quality of quality service. Welcome to yet another show with a psychic view. First off, right away, I would like to welcome my co-hosts, Anton St. Martin, Maureen, and Allura. Anton, how's your week? It was great, thanks. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I hope you are ready to be dazzled by the planets and enlightened by the stars tonight. I certainly am. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And Allura, how was your week? It was excellent. I'm having a great week. I hope the planets are aligning for me because they have been doing wonderfully. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this show. I'm not sure if Maureen's with us right away. She had to run out to check on something. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. There you are. <laughs> How was your week, girl? Oh, what week? No, it's been great. <laughs> it went by and it's gone and I'm, and, and I'm now in the now and I'm happy. <laughs> so that's I've been great. spending a lot of time thinking about you sitting out there on the beach looking at the dolphins in the ocean. Yes, it has been lovely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, I know about the rest of you, but the weather here is starting to cool down, and I'm really happy about that. I'm ready for us to head to the show. Of course, I should say I'm ready for it to start snowing because I really don't like the heat. <laughs> the, stars, the stars and the planets have always inspired a sense of wonder. Many cultures look skyward and see the face of the divine there. There's a cosmic dance on the grand scale and, and one on the going on for each of us. Astrology is a study of patterns relationships, planets in motion, your birth chart, sinister elements, and using that knowledge as a tool to find meaning. Tonight we'll be discussing how the dancing of the planets affects we humans down here on Earth. Our guest, Lynn Coiner, see the importance of astrology in our lives from A to Z. Lynn Coiner has, has been a full-time professional astrologer since June of 1969 and a professional member of the American Federation of Astrologers. And she's had the opportunity of studying directly with of the AFA. And he was her sponsor into this organization in 1969. We've got an email this week before we head into the show. Um, I'd like to let you know, though, we've got, if you're unable to catch the show from last week, Exploring Auras, you'll find a recorded archive all of the shows right here on our website at psychicaccesstalkradio.com. We got an email from Julie. I love you, Julie. Every week we really appreciate you um, sending in your, your, your questions. And this one, was a, this one was a twister. I had to work at this one. She says, which astrology has been in longer? Jayotish or Western? Okay. I searched for this, and this is what I came up with. Sanskrit is the most ancient language on earth, divine in origin, and the root of most of the languages of modern India, such as Hindi and Bengali. Jayoti means light, and Ish is in short for Ishwar, which means God. The Ishwar, or the light of God, is said as Jayotish. All much controversy among sect 
secularists and skeptics. As of the late 1990s or early 2000s, Indian universities have begun to create courses discipline. I don't know what the rest of you guys feel, but as much as I've studied, it looks like Jayotisha is the oldest. Does anybody else I have believe- on that? I've heard that. I've heard that it's much older and it's a different system. So um, I don't know I, much. I, I, my opinion on this is um, that it's, you know, that it's um, what's more important is, or what's more relevant for me, is that um, Vedic astrology has, has a more continuous or unbroken tradition um, compared to Western astrology. Um, <clears throat> yes, it does date back a long time. It's about, they're not sure, but it's about 5,000 years. But the difference between the two is that Western astrology has had many difficulties at times and its development was periodically interrupted, um, especially because of politics and religion. Um, For instance, during the Dark Ages, astrology practically disappeared from Europe um, and it only reappeared again during the Renaissance. And it also disappeared during the so-called Age of Reason in the 17th century. Um, when astronomy began to develop independently and it sort of took over as a science. So um, Western astrology only surfaced again about one and a half centuries ago, you know, after it was gone for such a long time. So the problem is, um, so basically it boils down to that, that Vedic astrology is actually older, it's actually more, it has a stronger foundation because um, the, the fractured history of Western astrology um, obviously did a lot of damage to the development and growth um, where uh, Vedic astrology continued to expand its knowledge base unhindered you know, all this time. So as a result, uh, there's a large body of classical literature that still exists today and that's used in the Vedic tradition. So um, although the jury is still out on this, um, I guess this is why a lot of people consider Vedic astrology to be more um, substantial and to be more accurate because um, it wasn't hindered in its development. Interesting. Yeah. All right, we're going to head into planetary weather next. Allura? Great, thank you. This is for the week of September 2nd to the 8th. Good evening. And as we open uh, this first week of September, I have found some interesting tidbits for all of you. On the evenings of September 6th and 7th, look to the west after sunset. There you'll find an interesting grouping of the crescent moon, Jupiter, Venus, and Spica, the brightest star in Virgo. It should be a beautiful sight. Look overhead and a little to the western sky and you'll get a good look at the Milky Way. In a dark sky location, you'll see a wispy stream of stars that begins in the constellation Cygnus and continues towards the western horizon. Hazy skies most of this summer have prevented us from viewing many of the interesting objects throughout this region of the sky. Grab your binoculars and telescopes and simply pan down that river of stars. You'll encounter many star clouds and nebulae. The Kepler space mission has discovered two new Saturn-sized planets and a possible third planet one and a half times bigger than Earth orbiting a star over 2,200 light-years away in the constellation of Lyra. The discovery also heralds the first time that it's been possible to measure the masses of planets using transit observations. That's interesting. To honor the achievements of the working class, Labor Day in the U.S. was celebrated on September 5, 1882 with a parade put on by the Central Labor Union in New York City. 
The holiday's popularity spread, and on June 28, 1894, President Grover Cleveland made it a federal holiday to be observed on the first Monday in September. Of course, there will be a plethora of picnics and celebrations to choose from in any of our hometowns. The new moon in Virgo offers an excellent change for a clean start. It's remarkable because the sun and moon, male and female, are conjunct at the same time Venus and Mars, male and female, are conjunct. This occurs on September 8th. This has got to bode well for the feminine and the masculine coming together, whether we're talking about men and women in their physical bodies or the yin and the yang that exists in each of us internally. And, of course, remember, we have Mercury retrograde still, so this runs up to in a few days past the 12th, and then everything that has seemingly been on hold for three weeks seems to come tumbling back into play. So just a few more days left of this planet messing with our communication, and we're all good. We end this week's weather report with a quote by Carl Jung. We are born at a given moment, in a given place, and, like vintage years of wine, we have the qualities of the year and of the season of which we are born. Astrology does not lay claim to anything more. And with that, I'd like to welcome Miss Peg back. <laughs> Thank you very much. I hope you all can hear me. Um, due to Mercury, I've had some technical difficulties this evening, and I switched everything over. Do I sound okay? Yes, yes. we do. Good. Yes, we can hear Good. you. Great. It's time for us to introduce this week's guest, Lynn Coiner. For many years now, I have visited this woman's site, and I, I mean, I, seriously, I have been at her site. I've sent people to her site. It's an amazing place. I've appreciated her work that it takes to put into that, the information together. I was so very happy to, happy to be able to speak with her this recently. It was very interesting to me. We spent a great time on the phone, talked about a few things. She really has a lot of information. Lynn has been a full-time professional astrologer since June 1969 and a professional member of the American Federation of Astrologers. She teaches medical professional curriculum for the International Academy of Astrology. You'll also find that at astrocollege.com. She offers free medical analysis on the Astrology and Healing Forum at haforum.co.uk. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Lynn. Hello, how are you? Well, thank you for having me, Peg. I'm really glad that you're with us. I really do enjoy your site, and I've, I've, I've enjoyed the work you've done over the years. I'm really happy to have you here. Well, I've written so many articles since even back in the 1960s. That's how old I am. And uh, so I, with the website, I can just start putting those articles up and posting them. And then my web designer said that once I'm gone, she'll make sure somebody maintains it. So I really, I really enjoy writing and doing astrological research. Well, I've appreciated and, and, and your work for years, and I have sent many, many of people to your sent people to your your site. It's an amazing place. I'd like to ask you, um, what made you decide to get into astrology? You know, I uh, was reading, uh, what is it, uh, Glamour Magazine, and it's because my horoscope, my, uh, my sun sign is in early degrees of Virgo, so for those who are a little more aware, it fo my, the sun follows a natural wheel when people make predictions, and mm -hmm. this Glamour Magazine would make little predictions about good and bad days, and it really worked. So then I graduated to Dell Horoscope and American Astrology magazines, and I would read those articles, um, and I would use the lucky hours to make predictions for people. It was just intuition or beginner's luck. 
so I really got into it through uh, the, the the magazines and Glamour magazine. And then it was in 1966, the summer of 66, I went to Catherine Grant. I saw that the American Federation of Astrologers at the time was located right behind the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. And so I went there for a reading, and I didn't know was she legitimate. I had no idea. But I did know that the FBI would... um, uh, some of their agents would stay at their home when they would come here to Washington for training. And I said, well, if the FBI is staying in her house, they have to be uh, uh, legitimate uh, um, practitioners. And I remember her telling me that, now, to finish college, but uh, uh, she says, you really have an aptitude for astrology. And I took many of my friends there, and no one did she advise to go into astrology. I was the only one. And within a year, I signed up to take her courses. What interested me the most, I'm a Virgo, so medical things always interest me. And I remember her telling me that I could have good health in my lifetime, but that I must never smoke because my mother and grandmother, uh, there's a a susceptibility which I've inherited from my mother and her mother uh, for problems with the lung, and I could easily get lung cancer. And I, well, I never smoked, but ironically, both my mother and grandmother uh, died from the complications of smoking. My grandmother had emphysema, and my mother died of lung cancer. So I, while I really wasn't inclined to smoke, uh, it was very good information. Uh, and then she gave uh, medical advice to some of my friends, and I, I was so inspired that one could tell an individual or a client what to do, what not to eat, so that they could maintain good health in the course of their life. So it it, it was a life-altering experience for me. That's very interesting. I I find that some of those things happen to me in in, in my lifetime when when people do astrology reports for me. I've done a lot of studying for this show. And not that I haven't read your papers before, but I've read a lot of your papers um, in the last few weeks. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you this. Because I, I know this myself personally, but I, I, I would like you to talk about astrology being ever so much more than the little horoscope people read in the newspaper, correct? Absolutely. It's, oh, I don't know if they just do it in, by u- using intuition. Most of them, they will set up what you call a solar wheel. They will put, say, for I'm a Virgo, so they would put Virgo on the first house, and they would look at the transits of the moon and other planets. But this isn't really a horoscope. And I know on my column or on my website, there are people who post, well, I'm an Aries, my boyfriend's a Sagittarius, how is this Pluto transit going to affect me? And there is absolutely no way that I could know this. I just tell them I'm an astrologer, not a psychic, so I really can't answer that question. They really need the month, day, and year, the time from the birth certificate, and the place of birth. Um, and with this, you, I calculate a unique position of the planets based on the time, uh, date, and place that the individual is born. So it, the chart is unique to individuals, although I will say that uh, on my website there's an article on astro-twins and astro-similarities, and sometimes I've met people whose charts are so similar to my own and I find we often have a similar ancestry coming from similar parts of Europe. 
uh, that our life, we had similarities. There's one whose chart was so much like my own. We both had a pony when we were a child. We both had mothers who were afraid we'd fall off the pony. We both used to walk on the CNO Canal, and of course, we were both astrologers. So sometimes when the charts are very similar, uh, in terms of having the same rising sign and many similar planets, it, it may not even be to the same day, but fairly close. You find that there's a lot of similarities that occur between two people. It's just very unique. I remember uh, there was a doctor, Harry Darling. He was a medical doctor, and he was conducting research on uh, um, uh, uh, mental, certain forms of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a chart of a woman who was schizophrenic, and I sent it to him, and he could not believe it. With, and I sent a, uh, a background, like a chronological background of health issues. And he also had a chart of someone born on the same day, the exact same time, because I know it was 5.55 p.m. It was that unusual. One was born in Philadelphia, one was born in New York. They were very, very close, you know, in terms of location. The charts were almost identical, and both had the same uh, history of being in and out of hospitals, uh, family relationships, and, uh, and a pattern of mental illness. So it's just incredible when you find charts that are very similar, how there can be certain patterns in those individuals' lives. That's very interesting. I, I have to agree with you there, and I, I use that um, connection. I say that all the time to everybody here on the show about getting their natal charts and paying attention to who they are from the very beginning. Now, you've already mentioned um, becoming interested in the medical astrology. Um, could you actually tell our listeners how that actually works? Um, I, I really was inspired by Catherine Grant, and I remember her... Uh, um, I took my, uh, a friend of mine for a reading, and she told my friend that she had a tendency towards uh, liver problems, and that if she took uh, the homeopathic remedy, Chiyonanthus, that she probably would never have liver problems. And it may have been 20 years later, my friend developed liver problems. There was another astrologer, a fairly well-known astrologer in the Washington area, who actually had a reading with Catherine Grant right around the same time as my friend. And she also advised him to take Chionanthus. And he says, you know, I take Chionanthus all the time, and I've never had any problems with my liver. And I noticed that, this is a little technical, the fifth house is often associated with the liver and its function. And both my friend and this other astrologer had strong placements in the fifth house. I don't know if that, if that is how she determined this, but she was able to give advice as to how not to get sick. And this really inspired me. So I started to collect charts. My first uh, disease was uh, uh, diabetes and hypoglycemia. And I, uh, I'm a good Virgo researcher, so what I would do is I would have friends in other areas um, uh, conduct, you know, they would collect birth data for someone who had basically diabetes. And uh, they would ask certain questions, and these people did not know anything about astrology. I did not want their astrological knowledge to color some of the information that they received. And so I remember uh, uh, asking about uh, their diet. And at that time, and this was back in the early 70s, um, they drank coffee and smoked cigarettes. It was very common at that time, although they feel that 
drinking coffee uh, um, uh, prevents diabetes, but at the time I noticed there would be people who would get up in the morning, smoke cigarette, drink their coffee, and uh, they also came up in a critical perfectionist environment. Uh, now, according to Dr. Hugh Messeldean, the critical perfectionist parent is the most common pathogenic parental attitude. Most parents are inclined to, to clean up your room, do this, do that, do better, you know, uh, 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 voice criticisms. And, but I did notice it was more severe with people who have diabetes or hypoglycemia, and, but it was absorbed criticism. And I noticed that uh, the onset of diabetes would occur six months after an event, and that would be some type of separation, alienation, or loss. And one of the first charts I had was of a young boy, and I could determine the timing of the onset from his chart. And uh, um, what had happened to him, I said, you know, what happened when he was about the age of 12? And at that age, uh, his mother ran off with another man, left him with his father, and he felt so abandoned. Six months later, he developed diabetes. Um, so that was my, my first uh, uh, work with uh, medical astrology. But I thought, it's, it's not enough to tell someone that you're inclined to have this. Um, and so I know at the time, back in the 60s and 70s, the only alternative medical books were by Rodale. Uh, he was kind of the father of uh, alternative medicine and uh, Adele Davis. She was wonderful. And so these were the only books that I had to read. And the next type of, uh, next disease I worked with, there was a group, I guess it was around 1974, uh, in New York, and it was a scleroderma support group. And all of these people had worked with the Edgar Casey readings. He was a psychic who gave readings from, oh, I'll say 1919 until he died in, I think it was in the late 19, I think it was around 1946. And they had worked with the Casey readings uh, to have remission from scleroderma. Scleroderma is really a uh, disease of, it's, it's a type of tuberculosis of the lymphatic system. Uh, they say the body turns to stone, and then when it goes to the internal organs, then that's, that tends to be uh, um, uh, the end for the individual. Um, and Casey said it was possibly one of the most easy to cure of these so-called incurable diseases. And so I worked with these people, uh, collected charts, and got a lot of information on the psychological profile. So I started to see that with astrology, I could look at the chart and see what the psychology of the individual was. And with certain diseases, there was often a pattern. Um, with scleroderma, there is a lack of flexibility. Um, sometimes they grew up in a childhood where there was a lot of change, too much change, and they couldn't always adapt to this. And so there's a lack of flexibility, uh, and this tends to have a, the psychological pattern has a tendency to have an influence on the lymphatic system. Um, so I started to see the profile, and I thought, well, if you altered the profile, if you altered some of your psychological patterns, uh, this might allow some type of healing or remission to take place. Um, there, again, there wasn't a whole lot available for cures or remedies. I did work, the, you know, I got Prevention Magazine uh, um, and worked with these Rodale books. They were huge. They almost looked like telephone books. 
but it had all kinds of information based on his own research. Then more information became available. Oh, by the second half of the 70s, you started to find uh, it was kind of a breakthrough in terms of psychology. Then you had the psychological astrology, the psychological patterns. And so this was very helpful. And there were many uh, uh, psychological books that became available. My favorite was by Hugh Messelbean, Your Inner Child of the Past. So I was able to see how these patterns that he described matched with astrological factors. And also there's another one, Karen Hornoy, a, I think she was a Hungarian psychologist, um, wrote a book, Neurotic Personality of Your Time. She was so organized, and I would read these books and start to see certain types of profiles with health issues. It really wasn't until more uh, uh, current times that you have a lot of remedies becoming available, a lot of breakthroughs in terms of uh, research in alternative medicine. And uh, uh, so I felt it wasn't important just to say um, you have a susceptibility for this type of health problem, but if you alter this psychological behavior, um, then you may not have these problems. Uh, I could also find certain remedies, and I started to collect these remedies, and they're on my website, Common Cures 1, 2, 3, and 4, and I'm getting ready to post Common Cures 5. They're not in any order. It's just in the order that I read about articles, and these are not astrological articles. These are medical articles uh, um, from research done in England, um, in Europe, and so as these articles are posted, and I I'm... Right now, I, I do a lo post a lot of things from Life Extensions. I get their magazine, and there's a lot of interesting uh, information. There's one thing. Edgar Casey said that in order to avoid a cold or flu, you need to alkalize your system. And years ago, he, he recommended something called soda mint. It was baking soda uh, with a mint flavor. It was a little pill. Squib no longer makes this. And I remember as I would start to get a cold or flu, I'd pop about four of these pills, and the, it, would, it would be gone. The cold or flu would be gone. And I'm very susceptible to respiratory problems. Um, and uh, I, I saw in, uh, uh, in, in the Life Extension magazine, and I haven't been able to find it. It was in one of the introductory pages, where they found that a, uh, um, an alkalizer, I guess, used for digestive problems, and it's not Alka-Seltzer. Alka-Seltzer has a lot of aluminum in it, and you don't want to be taking this. But they found people who had the onset of a cold or flu, if they took this antacid, a very powerful antacid, it would stop that cold or flu in its tracks. And that's one of the things Edgar Casey said. So one of the things I do if, if um, I find a new health issue, I usually uh, Google Edgar Casey and whatever the disease is. Um, some of them may be a little more difficult to find. I uh, go through some of the Edgar Casey files, and one of them was for restless leg syndrome. And, mm -hmm. of course, Casey didn't know how to describe that, so I just did twitching leg. And then I got wonderful information about toxin buildup, what you need to do. So sometimes when I'm looking for remedies, I will just Google what Edgar – and there are many files written on – different diseases that you can access for free. You can just put Google Edgar Casey and whatever the health issue is. Often you can get a profile that's written up, and this helps me a great deal. So in, in my practice, basically, it is 
um, uh, when I have a health issue, when someone presents a health issue, I ask them, when was the onset? When did the symptoms first manifest? And then I can see the astrological factors that are taking place. What are the transits? What are the, uh, uh, pr- well, it's the predictive tools, progressions and transits. Then I see what the issues were. And then I say, w- what was going on psychologically? There's one gout. Um, it does have a psychological profile, and I got this from a person. It, it has to do with the mutable signs. Uh, but, but a couple of people have told me, and it, and it has worked out, that they had this overwhelming sense of failure in their life. Um, and all of a sudden, they developed gout. Now, people can sense failure, and they don't get gout. But if there's an astrological pattern in the chart, it may manifest as this. So I look look at the, what was going on at the onset, psychologically and astrologically. And then I can talk more about certain remedies that might be helpful. One of the things, I do not say that I can cure any health problem. Um, I recommend things. I don't do diagnosis. This this is not a good thing for an astrologer to do if you're if you're I always say now I see certain things certain patterns uh, discuss this with a doctor you can go in on my common cures and one of the things I find uh, um, well there's something called the some of the signs are cardinal fixed or mutable cardinals would be the Aries Libra cancer Capricorn fixed yes. would be Leo Aquarius Taurus Scorpio and the mutable would be Gemini Sag Virgo Pisces and I find that these, they're called quadruplicities, they will show what the foundation of most of your health problems are going to be. And if you can address these very early on, you can uh, um, prevent a lot of health issues from taking place. I have a lot of the mutable signs. For me, it's Gemini and Virgo. And that is ruled by the lymphatic system. And so all my life, all the health problems I've had have been connected with the uh, what is it? I, I had problems with my tonsils, uh, allergies, respiratory problems. All of these are very much connected with the uh, lymphatic system. So I do certain things. There is uh, American saffron tea. Uh, I always go and have lymph massages. I know that because I have ear infections, and I remember going to uh, um, Arizona to give a workshop. And on the plane, my ears, they just became so sore and so infected, and they were in so, I was in so much pain. They were just very sore and tender. And after the workshop was over, I went to a fantastic uh, woman who did uh, manual lymph drainage. And she worked on me for 90 minutes, and 30 minutes later, my ears were totally healed because I addressed the root of that health problem. Not all health problems are that easy to uh, uh, to address and bring about a cure, um, but a lot of times people can just uh, go to my website and look at the common cures for different things, uh, and you may find things that help you. Also, on my website, I have a medical forum. I, I, I don't. I, you have to tell me what your health issue is. I can't make a diagnosis, and sometimes I know a lot of things about those health conditions, and I can make recommendations. Um, so does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Actually, it really does. More than you wanted to along. know. <laughs> there are certain, certain times in my life during my readings and sessions with people, Lynn, it's interesting the way, the way you're saying things, explaining things. I'm actually learning something because I can see certain things when it comes to people when they give me their birth date. Now, I'm nowhere near the master astrologer that you are, but you're, some of the things that you're saying are definitely hitting home. 
when we were talking, uh, we spoke of the, the Journal of Scientific Astrology in reference to remote viewing, which is very interesting to me because I'm a remote viewer. So can you, can, can you describe oh, you that are. for our listeners? Um, you know, I, uh, I started to do some research, and this is very much medically connected. Back in 1999, everyone was preparing for the last solar max, and that means the maximum sunspots. And I noticed that, um, that, that at a time, and you can go in on the Internet, uh, if you go into spaceweather.com, and if you look down on the left-hand column, you can go down and you'll see planetary K-index. That's the KP index. It's a German word, but just no K-index. And under mm -hmm. more data, you click on that and you will see a graph. If the, if the graph is green, then there's not, it has to do with the ringing in the Earth's electromagnetic field. And if it's ringing green, it's fine. But when it goes to yellow, and especially red, there is a strong ringing in the Earth's electromagnetic field. And this occurs because there is a coronal mass ejection that the sun shoots out material and it hits the Earth or the Earth's electromagnetic field. Or sometimes there can be uh, uh, solar wind on the sun if they're like black spots. Wind comes from that. And there's supposedly one predicted for September 5th and 6th. Uh, and what happens is, especially when just before solar max, you get every so often matter from the sun will hit the Earth's electromagnetic field. And, and you don't sense that this ringing is going on. But people get very cranky and very irritable. And it does lead to health problems. The first book I read on this, oh, it was written, I think, in the 1950s. Any, uh, um, if you studied physics in college, you had to read Alexander Dubrov's Biomagnetism and Life. And it was the influence of uh, uh, the ringing in the Earth's electromagnetic field. And actually, it's like being in a bell that's ringing. But consciously, we don't realize this, but our body knows it. And when it senses this ringing, it really sends all its defenses out. And uh, uh, so people are more inclined to have certain types of health problems at the beginning. By the time we get to solar max, when there are a lot of sunspots and matter hitting the earth, our bodies have adjusted to it. Uh, so it's not something that lasts for many years. But like 2010, 2011, when, the, when this ringing first starts, our body isn't accustomed to this. And it does cause health problems like ear infections, uh, yeast infections. Uh, Dubrov, he noticed that certain infectious illnesses were on the increase. Now, this is back in the 50s, so it was whooping cough. And also an increase in heart attacks because it was so stressful on the body. Uh, also, he discovered that uh, um, when it came to airline pilots, you know, uh, uh, men who had been pilots for many years, that they had an increase of 34% of error rate in their piloting of a plane at a time when there was ringing in the Earth's electromagnetic field. And sometimes during this period, people get uh, like vertigo, dizzy spells, um, and they don't know what's wrong, and they can go to the doctor, and the doctor says there's nothing wrong, there's no inner ear. Uh, but it really has to do with the Earth's electromagnetic field being bombarded with matter from the sun, and there is this ringing effect. On my website, I have a very short article that describes this and the link to space weather where you can see the graph. But sometimes I can sense something is going wrong, people are crazy on the road, 
I feel agitated myself, and I go home, and all of a sudden that graph is either ringing yellow or ringing or or it's red. Although there's something else not having to do with the uh, um, uh, Earth's elect- I'm getting off of uh, remote viewing Earth's electromagnetic field, and that is uh, um, um, uh, we're talking about remote viewing, and. Uh, uh, this was a group of, I guess it was had to do with, basically it was psychic spying. Uh, uh, I, I, his last name was Donegal. He's, uh, he was a remote viewer, and I know his wife, who's also an astrologer in, uh, uh, in, Virginia, in Virginia. And they fa- and this journal, the Journal of Scientific Exploration, um, they do a lot of unusual research. They are not astrologers. They do pure research. Um, they have done investigation over uh, uh, the ringing in the Earth's electromagnetic field. And then there is a scientist, James Spottiswood, who, research, who wanted to research remote viewers. And he found that uh, with testing, there was a two-hour window in which their uh, uh, psychic abilities just spiked when they were very psychic and very intuitive. And they did a lot of research. Did it have to do with the moon's phases? Was there any planetary alignment? And what they discovered is that during that two-hour window, where they were located on the Earth, the Earth itself was actually uh, blocking the noise coming from the galactic center. Now, that's not that obscure. Anybody can determine this. You can go get a Rand McNally star finder or certain times of the year, if you look up in the sky and you can see Orion's belt, then you know, and that because that's in the sign of Gemini, then you know where you are. The Earth is blocking the noise that comes from the galactic center, and it only lasts for a two-hour period. Uh, so if you look at the sky or use a little star finder for when it's in the daytime when Orion's belt is overhead, then this is a time of increased um, psychic ability because there's not that interference from uh, um, from the galactic center. I, I mean, astronomers will tell you there's a lot of noise that comes from outer space and coming from that galactic center. And when it's blocked by the Earth uh, because of where you're positioned on the planet, it tends to allow for better receptivity of your psychic ability. So anybody can practice and work with this. Uh, but also at the time when there's the ringing in the Earth's electromagnetic field, this interferes with psychic ability. And it also, um, when that ringing is going on, it also, it's disruptive. It's very important not to meditate. If you look on the KP index and you see it's ringing red, the, the thing you're, what you're supposed to do is move. The body adapts to this ringing much easier if you're moving, walking, hiking, uh, moving the body about. Uh, it is very difficult on the body if you're meditating, trying to do psychic or intuitive things. The body is more sensitive, and uh, um, it feels this more acutely when you're trying to do this when there's a, a lot of ringing going on. And anybody can go in um, on space weather under planetary K index and click on that, and you can see if there's a lot of, if it's ringing red. Yellow isn't so strong, but especially if it's ringing red, um, 
then you know there's, this is not a time to be practicing some of your psychic work because it's stressful on the body. It will not do any harm to anyone, but it is more stressful on the body. So does that answer your question? Yes, it does, and thank you very much. And you ended there at a perfect moment. We need to take a moment and hear from our sponsor, PsychicAccess.com. A new era in psychic services has begun. PsychicAccess.com. You can connect with our psychic advisors by telephone or chat 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All of our psychic advisors are interviewed, fully verified, and accuracy tested, assuring you quality service. We're living in some very troubled times right now. More and more, the world's problems are affecting us on a personal level. You don't have to deal with this alone. Our highly accurate psychics, caring advisors, and talented mediums can help with situations you are currently experiencing and can let you know what the future may hold for you. All new customers get a free six-minute reading. All you have to do is register. Why not visit us now and get a free reading at PsychicAccess.com. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Psychic View on Psychic Access Talk Radio and our guest, Lynn Coiner, this evening. I have really enjoyed this. We're getting a lot of great feedback um, that you can't see, Lynn, in the, in the uh, chat room. Everybody's really enjoying the information you're putting out. The next thing I wanted to ask you about, we were speaking about the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction that happened last year in Aquarius. Can you elaborate more on that for everybody? Uh, well, actually, it, it, in 2009, there was the Jupiter-Neptune-Chiron alignment, and it is a very rare alignment. It occurred in 1945, which is the year I was born, but it, it is a very rare uh, a phenomena. And I really felt that this was a time when a seed was planted for a vision for the future, but there wasn't anything concrete or tangible. Here in 2010 and into early 2011 is the great Jupiter-Uranus conjunction. They occur, it occurs every 14 years, and I live for those conjunctions because they really are uh, an expansive influence in one's life. I became a professional astrologer in 1969 with the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction in Libra. That was, I was in June. I hung out my shingle and became a professional astrologer. The next one was, I guess, in 1983, and I got into uh, esoteric astrology, some of the Alice Bailey material, and there's all kinds of articles on my website that people can download for free. So it's always, and in 97, I made some incredible personal changes, so I can't wait for 2010. And, it, and this year, there have been so many changes for me. It, it, it really is, if you initiate something um, during the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction, it's almost like putting a booster rocket on what you're attempting to do. Now, it really hasn't started yet. Uh, in September, in this month, there is the alignment in late Pisces, and then again in January in late Pisces. And so it's a time when, uh, um, uh, because it's in late Pisces, it's in late degrees, for many people it's going to be an ending cycle, uh, ending something from the past and beginning something new. For those individuals who had planets at zero degrees, um, then this was very strong in the month of June. It will occur again in the zero degrees around uh, uh, March of 2011. So if, 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 if the audience hasn't experienced some of this, 
uh, we still have several months to go in which if it, you know sometimes people will lose their job and then uh, start their own home-based business. So sometimes things can come to an end and it may seem like it's the worst thing in the world, but under the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction, it is a very positive energy. And my father, he is turning 90 years old uh, this year, and uh, we have the only farm in downtown Silver Spring. It's a one-acre farm. And last year, with the Jupiter-Neptune Chiron in Aquarius, uh, some filmmakers came and they wanted to film my father and um, because he has the sun at zero degrees Sagittarius in his third house of communication. And this June, when the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction was making a favorable aspect of that from the seventh house of the public, uh, this film was picked up by the American Film Institute and it was, uh, um, uh, it was given an award, and it was shown at the American Film Institute. Uh, the tickets for this film were sold so fast that AFI decided to uh, show the film for free on a Tuesday night for the town of Silver Spring. And mm -hmm. the town was mobbed with people. And who would have thought my father, a farmer, would be a movie star? And um, at the, on the 25th of September, this film is going to be shown in Vienna, Austria. And next Friday, it's going to be at the Navy Memorial, uh, the E Street Theater. So I always go to do the question and answering. So in my own life, it's already started. A lot of new things are taking place. And for me, I'm going to be starting what I call global gatherings in November. I always go to Europe. I've been going since the Berlin Wall came down. Mm -hmm. and uh, um, I, I connect with other astrologers, and so I'm going to be do doing global gathering. It's free. Anybody can tune in and listen to me interview astrologers in Europe and talk about things, and then it's going to be posted on my website for people who can't maybe wake up in the middle of the night and, and hear me uh, you know, interviewing an astrologer in the Czech Republic. So I know this is a good time to get this started. So I have an article, a very long article on the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction on my website. Anybody can download this for free. But it is a very expansive time. And, and, and if people in the audience say, well, nothing's happened so far, this period from September through January is when it is exact again. And it is a very powerful time. Now, I know that I had predicted that I felt when it was in Aries there would be a great scientific breakthrough. When I went to Mrs. Grant in 1966, she said that she talked about the great Jupiter-Uranus conjunction, and she says whenever it occurs in Aries or Libra, there is a great scientific breakthrough that impacts the world. She says, you just, just watched July of 1969. There's going to be a great scientific breakthrough, and the world is going to be aware of it. And, of course, that's when man landed on the moon. And when I looked back to 42 years earlier, when it was in Aries, that's when Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic. It was in zero degrees so briefly that not much happened except a man flew a solar-powered airplane. Um, so I feel that it's just setting the stage for other things, and this these breakthroughs will start to take place maybe from September into January of 2011. I also feel because there's another alignment with Neptune um, in uh, 2013 that there may be a significant breakthrough in the field of medicine. Um, so it, it is a, it's, a, 
It's an expansive, optimistic time. It's not a time that people should be afraid if you wanted to start new things, to take a, to take a calculated and practical risk in your life. The Jupiter-Uranus conjunction really supports that expansive activity. And as certain things begin to evolve and change, for example, uh, when man landed on the moon, there were so many spin-offs and uh, uh, even my neighbor who was blind was able to use the technology to help him see better. They performed some type of surgery uh, so that he could, he could see a little bit. So often there are spinoffs that people can take advantage of when the changes do take place. Doesn't mean these things are the good times are going to last forever. In '69, man landed on the moon, but in the early '70s there was the oil embargo, and people had to wait in line to get their gasoline. But it really is an exciting time, and if it aspects anything in your chart, it really stimulates the, the houses connected with your natal planet and the house position. For people who don't know their chart, I know you can go to astro.com and type in your birth date and get a copy of your chart. And you can see where that Jupiter-Uranus conjunction falls in your chart. Uh, so it's a very significant time. It's a, it, it really is an optimistic time, a very expansive time. Even in terms of, um, oh, I've noticed that I'm in a, a meditation group on Wednesday nights, and, and I've noticed that with this conjunction there has been real like intuitive breakthroughs for for my group, uh, who are able to do psychic things they just never before thought possible. So sometimes it's not always coming into a lot of money or winning the lottery. There can be changes that take place within the in individual that are very powerful and very, very expansive. So I, I love this conjunction. Uh, last year the alignment was in Aquarius, and that kind of set the vision. Um, it was when I was planning to uh, 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 to do a lot of things in terms of my teaching, and also it was a time when those filmmakers were following my father, taking pictures of him working in the garden. Um, and this is a year to, and it goes into early 2011, to uh, act on very expansive things. If you read the, the article, it will go through the conjunction in the houses. And maybe if you don't even know what the, uh, what, where it is appearing in your chart, you can just get an idea as you go through the houses of the different changes that take place. Because sometimes if it falls in a, uh, a mental house, like the third or the ninth, uh, you may go to a conference or a workshop or take a course that just expands your consciousness. You may start to teach or to write, and it just expands your consciousness, and it, it, it is a very progressive, expansive time. So it's not, it's not like the winning the lottery aspect, but it's a time of making changes in our life, uh, changes in the work we do, changes in our home, that, and changes in terms of how we earn a living, uh, changing social circles. I'm kind of going through the houses. Mine occurs in the eighth house, and that has to do with major life transformations. So it really is a good aspect, and you have to look and see where it falls in your chart. But if you don't, if you just read all of those houses, you may get a sense of, of how this works in your own chart. Very interesting information. I'm sitting here in hindsight thinking, I should have had you do my, my chart before we got on the show. So many interesting things that you're talking about. And of course, one of the last well, things I want to ask you here um, when you're time with us as a master astrologer, you know what do you see in the in the heavenly movements in regards to this 2012 
um, energy that's going on? Um, well, I'm not a gloom and doom astrologer. I remember back in the early 80s, I would give my uh, um, good news predictions for the coming era. Um, and I remember talking about uh, uh, the good things that were going to be taking place. And I remember someone said, well, what about the pole shift? Isn't, you know, something, well, they, people somehow like gloom and doom. And I said that I felt that the communism would end. And uh, um, and I said, you know, I felt it was going to be a little bit later would knock the hat off the Pope. Um, but I said, these changes will take place before any pole will shift. And uh, so I was. So my predictions came out with the gloom and doom really haven't occurred so far in terms of pole shifts and the world ending. Uh, the 2012 was really the end of the Mayan calendar, uh, and it was based on uh, transits of Venus. And what's very interesting, I-, I will tell you, I can't see what is happening, but there was a aspect, they call it a Venus transit. It's an astronomical term. When Venus crosses over the face of the sun, it occurs about, I'm going to guess, about every 125 years. And it occurred in June of uh, uh, 2004, and it always occurs again eight years later, and then it's another 125 years. Um, It occurred in June of 2004, and it occurs again in 2012, and that's a culmination cycle of things that were started in 2004. Now, I can't really see what started in 2004 that may reach a culmination. But I'll go back to the last time that Venus transit occurred, and I was watching television, and there was the information on the History Channel. Uh, When Venus, back in the uh, um, 1800s, crossed the face of the sun for the first time, it was uh, um, uh, the Impressionists had their first exhibition. Of course, it was shocking. People just thought this was terrible. Uh-huh. And by the last crossing, that was the end of, uh, uh, that was the last exhibition of Impressionism, and it was just so commonplace it really wasn't challenging or disruptive at all. And it set the stage for a few years later for the uh, mo- very modern artists to be accepted in, into the artistic community. So what I felt was that with the G- uh, uh, Venus transit, it changes the way we look at the world. Something starts at the at the first transit, and it kind of culminates at the last. I wish I could predict, oh, I can see exactly what started in 2012. I really can't. I can see back in history uh, what took place. Uh, there was, uh, uh, you know, circumnavigation of the, uh, of the planet. Uh, it changed how we viewed the world. There were new countries. Uh, uh, there were new worlds to be discovered. So each century has something very different. I can't really see this, but 2012 is the last crossing of Venus over the face of the sun. It's also the time of solar max. Um, I wrote a paper on solar max in 1999, and I really need to upgrade that or update it, you know, for the current time. But with solar max, that solar activity is very disruptive on the planet in terms of uh, uh, earthquakes. You know, we had uh, um, at the last uh, solar max, we had this great fixed cross, I guess, in 1999. And, of course, there was this major earthquake in Turkey. These are not earthquakes that are are going to end the world or... uh, be that disruptive, but when there's this ringing in the Earth's electromagnetic field, it does shake the Earth's plates, 
and you're more inclined to have, uh, um, oh, like earthquakes and, uh, uh, I'll say, just disruptions on the earth. So mm-hmm. that's also very strong for 2012. 2012 to 2015 is the uh, great Pluto-Uranus square. It's an alignment that last occurred in the 1960s, and it always portends a great revolution on the planet. Uh, The last time it was in uh, uh, Virgo, there was a conjunction in Virgo, and it was a very disruptive time in terms of people protesting the war, um, civil rights. There was a great rebellion on the planet. This time they have moved into Aries and Capricorn. And so I feel the great rebellion is going to be on uh, uh, having to do with government and big business. Big business is unregulated. And it started, you know, Pluto is in Capricorn. The sign it goes through shows that excesses are taking place and we need to rebalance. And the excesses will start when another outer planet goes through that sign. And in the 80s, uh, Neptune went through Capricorn, and then all of a sudden there was this total deregulation of big business. And it seemed fine. We were just very naive as to uh, how to extremes that big business would go. I remember uh, uh, farmers were losing their farms to these big agricultural uh, corporations. Now these mm-hmm. corporations aren't doing so well, and these farmers are able to buy their land back. Uh, so when Pluto goes into Capricorn, there's going to have to be a rebalancing of these excesses. And there is, it always marks a great revolution on the planet. It's not just in this country, but it will be something that's global, just as it was uh, in the 1960s. So this is also an important uh, um, uh, factor around the 2012. Also in 2012, uh, two very slow-moving planets change signs, and they shift into uh, um, the uh, their ruling signs. And, you know, we don't make a paradigm shift very often, but every time a slow-moving planet changes signs, there is a great shift in consciousness. Um, uh, when, even when, oh, was it back in... Uh, um, oh, maybe 2008, when Saturn, that's every two and a half years, went from Leo into Virgo, all of a sudden, we no longer saw Paris Hilton on television. It was, everything was green, um, uh, local, like urban gardens, um, uh, every, the ecology, it, it brought about big changes in our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, Pluto going into Capricorn was the shift from excesses and had a strong influence on the stock market, and we're very aware of these excesses in terms of big business. But these cycles always occur. We always bounce back and make the changes. So I I feel that this is something positive that needs to take place. Uh, There's another planet that I use. It's called trans-Pluto. It's outside the orbit of Pluto. It has been in the sign of Leo since 1938, and starting in 2012 for about a four-year period is going to be shifting from Leo into Virgo, and this is going to have a very powerful psychological impact because this is a planet that has to do that has to do with any autoimmune diseases, and it is. When it went into Leo, it became a time that instead of looking to the clan, because it had been in cancer, for approval and security, 
we started to look outside ourselves for people to validate our lives, to give us approval. But, of course, when we look to other people to change us, to give approval, they're more inclined to criticize us or change us into the way that they want us to be. I have a couple of articles on TransPluto on my website. There is a brief one that really gives more of a picture of what TransPluto does. And when it leaves Leo... Uh, it's going to be a shift of no longer looking for approval outside ourselves, but to it's what we think of ourselves. Transpluto has to do with wholeness and integration issues. Now, those people who have planets in very late degrees of fixed signs will be going through the greatest transformation during this four-year period, 2012 through 2016. So it's a very powerful cycle, and in its own way, it's like having a paradigm shift. And so this is an important evolutionary shift for people on the planet. So there are actual things going on astrologically. I don't know enough about the, uh, the Mayan calendar or how it works, but I do know there are significant astrological factors taking place indicating a great shift on the planet. And then, as I said before, I felt that around it's you know January to June of 2013, uh, there may be some type of significant medical breakthrough that occurs at this time. Uh, so, th- does that answer your question about 2012? I know it really isn't tying in with the Mayan calendar, but I look at these things from an astrological perspective, and I know the Mayans were very much into these Venus cycles. Uh, they're eight-year cycles. Um, they're small cycles, and they're very large, long cycles. And so Lynn? I know this is... Yes? Lynn, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I need to keep on schedule here. And I could sit okay. listen to you talk. I talk all, a lot. You all, need to tell me when to be quiet. Pardon? I, I talk a lot, so you need to tell me when to stop. <laughs> like I said, I really appreciate you here being here with us, and I could listen to you speak all night. Um, I want to. I want to thank you for for being with us and enlightening us with your your years of study. Okay, and I, I really well, appreciate that. And so I, I think you're going to be in touch you. again. I can feel it. So we'll be talking again soon. Okay, great. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Okay. Bye, bye. Lynn. Bye. Thank you. Wow, I hate having to interrupt like that, guys. That's a great interview, and I really appreciate that. And if you, I, I've read several of her um, papers, and they're actually very easy to understand. So. You know, they were talking about lay people in, in the room earlier. The layman can understand because she writes things in a, it, just like she speaks. You can understand what she's saying. So if you'd yeah. like to do that, go ahead and look at her guest page on Psychic Access Talk Radio here. Or you can also join, go to her site and, and, and download some of these things she's talking about at uh, Lynn Coiner, K-O-I-N-E-R dot com. Okay? I'd like to take a moment to make a few announcements. If you, already, if you haven't heard already, we're presenting a four-part series on 2012 Exposed. So please be sure to join us October 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28th as each co-host presents their 2012 Exposed series. Each show will have a different theme. Be sure to stay tuned for the upcoming event. Also, be sure to visit our PsychicBloggers.com site for anything psychic you would like to learn about. Learn about everything from reincarnation to how to psychic development. And if you're interested in a reading... From the best psychics on the net, go to PsychicAccess.com. We are going to find the verified and accuracy-tested psychics, each with their own unique gifts. Each psychic has a detailed profile for you to find out more about them and to choose from the list of some of the most gifted psychics on the Internet. Many gifted psychics who have worked for other sites have come to us and come to me and told me that they found Psychic Access to be the best psychic website because of the high standards required for our psychics. 
and I, for one, enjoy working for Doggett Psychic Access because of those standards. And I know that with Psychic Access, I am associated with a credible psychic site with high standards and integrity. So my reputation is safe. All of the co-hosts here on PsychicAccessTalkRadio.com work at Psychic Access. And if you would like a personal reading from any one of us, please be sure to visit us at PsychicAccess.com, and we'd love to hear from you. By the way, if you're a site owner, uh, site owners and webmasters earn 50 cents a minute on every reading on traffic that is referred to PsychicAccess.com. So for more details, please go to PsychicAccess.com slash webmasters. Okay, with, that, with the announcements out of the way, how'd you guys like the interview? That was interesting, how was that? That was fascinating. She a covered yeah, a lot of information, a lot of uh, information that you don't normally hear from, a star, uh, you know, the typical astro- astrological kind of stuff. It was excellent. I really enjoyed talk, you know, listening to her. One of the things I'm interested in, uh, interested in Laura, is that you had some interesting information on Native American system of astrology. Yeah. Actually, um, I'm not sure there's really a traditional system, but there is a Native medicine man who wrote a book for a Native system of astrology, and he did it to help people to relate to Mother Earth and the rest of creation. So I thought I'd share some of that uh, with you. What the system does is it incorporates the four directions, which are very important to the Native people, the North, East, West, West, and South. They all have very important meanings. And there are totems assigned to each birth sign. So by researching and learning about the totems, one born under those totems can learn a lot about themselves and their potential. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, just give you what the totems are, the dates, you know, the plants, minerals, and colors for each totem. And you can always look them up. The book is actually written by Sunbear and is called The Medicine Wheel Earth Astrology. Now, the dates for the first totem, which is Snow Goose, is December 22nd through January 19th, and the plant is birch tree, mineral quartz, and the color is white. The second totem is Otter, and that is for the dates of January 20th through February 18th. Plant is Quaking Aspen, mineral silver, and a color silver. Between February 19th and March 20th, it's cougar, that's the animal, plant is plantain, mineral, turquoise, and color is blue-green. For March 21st through April 19th, you have the red hawk, dandelion is the plant, fire opal is the mineral, yellow is the color. Frogs return, or I'm sorry, April 20th to May 20th is beaver. Blue uh, blue camas is the plant. Chrysocolla, the mineral. Blue is the color. May 21st through June 20th, you have the deer. Yarrow is the plant. Moss agate, the mineral. White and green, the color. June 21st through July 22nd is flicker. That's a woodpecker. And the plant is wild rose. Carnelian agate is the stone. And pink is the color. July 23rd through August 23rd through August 22nd is the sturgeon. Raspberry is the plant. Garnet and iron is the mineral, and red is the color. August 23rd through September 22nd is brown bear. Violet is the plant. Amethyst the mineral, and purple the color. 
And the last three are September 23rd through October 23rd. Raven is the animal, Mullion the plant, Jasper the mineral, and Brown the color. October 24th through November 21st, Snake is the animal, Thistle is the plant, Copper and Malachite the stones and, and minerals, and Orange is the color. November 22nd through December 21st is Elk, which is the last totem. And the plant is black spruce, obsidian is the mineral, and black is the color. So all those are very interesting. When you read the meanings of each one of those, if you research those, you'll find out a lot uh, about yourself. And I just found it very interesting. And re- I appreciate all the information. I know that it's a got, different- if I remember correctly, I've got a book like that. Yeah. It's very unique, and it's very helpful. It's just another perspective on a similar uh, on the same subject and you always get a kind of a uh, a more what do you call it a more whole point of view when mm-hmm. you get those other details you know what I'm saying so I like yep. that so I thought I'd share that the, predi- the position of the north and south nodes of the moon at the time of our birth is often neglected but is believed to be an important influence in our life what insight, what insight does the moon node offer us Anton? Um, yes, well, you know, with the work we do, I find this um, lesser-known component of astrology um, very useful in my work. Um, the theory behind the nodes of the moon, which is basically the north and the south uh, node, is that we are all born into this lifetime with some aspect of our character that are too strong and, and some aspects that are overdeveloped um, and some aspects that are too weak or too or too underdeveloped. So the, the north node and the south node points are directly opposite each other, and they are not planetary bodies, rather they are points that take into account the relationship between the sun, the moon, and the earth at the time of our birth. So the position of the nodes of the moon at the time of our birth provides us with the clues to these uh, personality qualities that, you know, that we have too much of and that we have too little of. Um, the north node is an indication of the underdeveloped side of us and the south node on the other hand refers to our overdeveloped characteristics. And these aspects of our personality are the traits we often tend to fall back on in times of crisis. Um, but because we rely on them too often, they can ultimately un- undermine our happiness and negatively affect our spiritual growth. So it's very important to know what these uh, qualities are um, so that we know what sort of spiritual life lessons we need, need to learn. Um, you know, the, the North Node qualities uh, show us what we need to work on or develop in order to grow spiritually and to find inner balance and peace. Uh, and, uh, you know, by consciously working on these life lessons, um, as shown by our North Node, we can increase our personal success, uh, our happiness and fulfillment. Um, I thought it would be interesting to to have a look at uh, the North Notes for the the hosts on the show. And um, it was actually quite interesting what I came up with. Um, I'm not going to go into too much depth, uh, so I'm just going to do just a brief one um, for for, for, uh, the two of my co-hosts. Laura, your North Node is in Libra, and that means that your South Node is in Aries. Now, people with the North Node in Libra tend to rely on themselves too much. Um, and they, they sometimes alienate other people in the process. Some of the personal challenges that you may need to work on in this lifetime is the tendency to be overly competitive to the point of 
having a me-first attitude and to take things very personally and also to be sometimes impatient or rash and impulsive at the expense of your own personal happiness. Um, so you may need to work on sensitizing yourself more to the needs of others and to learn tact and cooperation and to let go of an overwhelming self-consciousness that may sometimes block your desire to win. Um, I don't know how much of this rings true to you, uh, Laura. Um, I would say that uh, I, I actually am more a team worker, but now when I have to re I the part about relying on myself, I tend to be very independent and very independent thinking, so I can certainly relate to that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm a single mom, so, you know, I'm very independent, and uh, so that part I can understand. I can certainly draw upon uh, any strength I need to, so in that regard, yeah, I can see that in terms of whatever the situation calls for. I don't really consider myself competitive per se. I'm a mediator, and uh, I really prefer negotiation rather than, uh, you know, uh, competitiveness and that's my background mostly so hopefully I'm living more in the north node and I've uh, well but I'm 51 so hopefully I've developed past that and I'm moving more towards the Libra north node but thank you thank you for that information Maureen with your north node in Virgo and your south node in Pisces your focus should be on paying more attention to deadlines details rules and structure in your life um, you have a tendency to avoid dealing with the details and practicalities of everyday life and you tend to lead a rather haphazard and unorganized existence. You may also avoid formulating clear goals and you put too much faith in the grand plan while neglecting practical concerns. So you need to work on developing some healthy and practical routines and schedules. Otherwise, you may end up having to deal with constant worry and anxiety in your life. Um, winging it in life is okay to a certain extent, but without clear goals and some orderliness, you will easily feel like you are not in control. So the position of your North Node also suggests that you have great compassion for others, but beware if taken too far, you do run the risk of being used and exploited by other people. Your goal should therefore also be to establish firm boundaries and limits for others and for yourself. Uh, how does that sound to you, Maureen? Does it make sense? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we've all heard me talking throughout the shows that we've done so far, especially with my family stuff, and that absolutely is true. I have, I am an, I'm not a very organized. I've been working on that, but you know, it is very true. And this, this is the type of thing with astrology. I think is really interesting because I'm aware that intellectually, I, I, I hear it, and I know it. But it's from the patterns that goes on and on and on that it is difficult for me to to be organized, my goals, and I get all over the place, and I know that I can do this if I just put my energies to it, and and then get rid of my family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I actually find um, this, um, you know, I find often with um, with uh, clients that um, this stuff is pretty accurate. Um, um, for me personally as well, you know, my north node is in Aries and my south node is in Libra. And this position suggests that I tend to face challenges in my one-on-one -on -one relationships. Um, I need to learn to love myself more, to trust my instincts more, and to lead others without fear. People who have their north node in Aries like me tend to expose themselves to, to codependent relationships due to a fear of independence and of standing alone. 
and we are also indecisive at times and don't always trust our instincts. We fear expressing our independent wishes and asserting ourselves because we prefer the comfort of being considered good or kind or nice people. So learning to act on our impulses, which implies a certain amount of self-confidence and sometimes having to be a bit controversial, is one of the lessons uh, you know I have been having to learn in this lifetime. And trust me, I have been learning that. I've been working very hard on that. I have learned that in that I can, in fact, be independent and assertive, which is a big fear, uh, you know, if you're in this position. And it has come to a point where I can now offer myself to others in one-on-one -on -one relationships in a more balanced manner. My goal must, you know, continue to be to strive for internal peace and being true to myself instead of focusing on achieving peace and balance in relationships with others. And that is exactly what I've been doing the past few years. So I find it um, quite interesting. And I just wish I had this information uh, 20 years ago. You know, it would have saved <laughs> me a lot of um, uh, gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. That is interesting. Yes, yes it is. Thank you, Anton. Maureen, what is your take on astrology? Okay, I have a lot of takes on it. <laughs> well, what I feel is... Astrology is uh, astrology is an infinity complex subject. You know, astrology is many things to many people, but naturally, it is a master vehicle for intuitive perception and psychic insight, which I myself have used that. I applied it to my work, and it is also an art form and one that lends itself to quick sketches and complex portraits of individuals and couples, even corporations and nations and more. I mean, it's been applied to political. And um, as we all we've spoken about that before, it can all, um, it can also be have clearly, of course, spiritual and religious undertones, and that is evidenced by the studies of ancient Egypt. Um, and I think we are all aware of that. But it's, but it's, astrology is not a belief system. People no more have a belief in astrology than they do in dancing. Like I like to dance, for example. But I do believe in dancing. <laughs> but um, both can be fun and useful pastimes without belief in them. But although it, may, it must be added that according to Albert Einstein, who we, I, I like as well as I, I feel my co-hosts do, um, a, brief, a belief in an astrology will make it work better for you. After all, we live in a solar system and in a space-time um, continuum, and astrology is the biggest contender for the um, unified you know, field theory. Well, except as of today, I heard that was his name. Never mind about that. But anyway, so it's a language. Astrology is a language, and it's the best language, and it's a universal language, and it's broken. It's, it's more universal than broken English. So that's my take on it. That's what I think. Okay, well, thank you. We're going to take a commercial break with a word from our sponsor, PsychicAccess.com. Hello, my name is Res Miranda. If you're having relationship, career, or life issues, I'm inviting you to experience what it's like to have access to professional, highly accurate psychics and spiritual advisors you can trust to care and help you. Register now to get your free six-minute reading by telephone or chat. Get answers. Get access. Psychic Access, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. PsychicAccess.com. Welcome back. You're listening to The Psychic View on Psychic Access Talk Radio. The theme tonight is astrology. Allah, I, I, we've talked about this before. You've got some insights on the major asteroids and the meaning in the chart. Yes, I think this is very interesting because the major asteroids are asteroids apart from the planets. 
astrology normally concentrates on the planets, but these are major. They're also minor asteroids, which also have an effect. But these are the major asteroids. So I thought this would be really interesting to talk about. The major asteroids are Pallas Athene, Juno, Ceres, and Vis and Vesta. These uh, there are specific asteroids that exist that, although they aren't actually planets, they're considered to be very in important in terms of our astrological charts. So I'm going to cover these in brief. I'm going to start with Ceres. Ceres is associated with the signs Cancer, the Taurus Scorpio polarity because they're opposite signs to each other, and Virgo. Ceres addresses issues of how we give and receive nurturance. How we develop feelings of self-worth, how we provide for and care for others, how we respond neurotically if these needs are not met, and it also governs the lessons of attachment and aversion, which is a Taurus-Scorpio polarity, the pathology of loss and rejection, the capacity for grief and sorrow, and the principle of sharing. Now, the Virgo aspect of Sarah's addresses the issues of productivity, growth. Self-reliance and work. So wherever Sarah's is in your chart, that will give you some insight into those types of things, those issues. Now, Pallas Athene is associated with the signs Libra, Leo, and Aquarius, and Pallas、uh, symbolizes the process of creative visualization and the knowledge of the laws of manifestation. So that's a really interesting one. Wherever it falls in your chart, it will tell you a lot about that. Vesta is associated、uh, with Virgo and Scorpio, and one of the most important wisdom teachings under Vesta is how one may transform sexual energy for the purpose of enlightenment and liberation. That would be spiritual spiritual enlightenment and liberation. Vesta governs the Kundalini at the base of the spine, the sexual fires, which through development becomes enlightenment. Vesta represents the principles of focus and commitment in order to bring about this spiritual transformation, and this focus and commitment, which is the Virgo side of things, is a dedication and aspiration toward a path or goal, and includes whatever sacrifices are necessary to meet that goal. Juno has associated rulerships involving Libra and Scorpio. Juno symbol. Juno in your chart symbolizes the yearning for full mystic union that is emotionally, sexually, and psychologically fulfilling. It also describes a need for a deeply committed and just relationship, as well as for the range of suffering and neurotic complexes that arise when this union is denied or frustrated. It's an indicator of one-to-one -one relationships, a significator of protocol and social ritual, enhances feminine beauty. Represents creative talents in the arts. It stands up for women's rights, and is a symbol for the powerless. And is associated with the with the Earth's atmosphere. So I, all of those are really interesting. When you study those in your horoscope,、uh, you'll find out so much more in addition、uh, to the planetary、uh, positions, which which are of course major, very major and important. But that's in addition. Uh, to that, so those are the major asteroids. Thank you very much, Anton. What does the ascendant or rising sign refer to, and how does it influence our behavior and personality?、Um, well,、uh, the, most of us know our sun sign or our zodiac sign. 
under which we are born, um, and this is obviously determined by the position of the sun at the time of our birth. However, it is actually far more important for us to know what our ascendant or our rising sign is, and our guest tonight also referred to this. The ascendant is the sign which rises in the horizon in the exact time of one's birth, and it is that aspect of your chart that changes most frequently. Um, so, you know, every, you know, babies that are born sort of close to each other can actually have totally different ascendants, um, because this changes about every two hours. Um, and that is why the hour and minute of your birth birth is so important to calculate your natal chart. Now, our ascendant sign expresses the external or public aspects of our personality, while our sun sign represents our character or our inner being, our ascendant sign represents our outer being or personality and how others perceive us. For instance, I am a Scorpio, but I have cancer rising. Now, uh, for instance, possessiveness is one of the well-known traits uh, for Scorpios, but with cancer rising, my attitude tends to be more protective instead of possessive. Well, that's how I'm perceived by others. So this is one of the main reasons why newspaper horoscopes don't always make much sense because it does not take into account your unique rising sign. Um, so it's in fact far more appropriate to instead of saying I'm a Virgo, to say I'm a Virgo with a rising Pisces or instead of saying my sign is Taurus, you can say I'm a Taurian with my Pisces ascending. And the best way to figure this out is to have your natal chart done by a professional astrologer and to make sure that you provide them with accurate um, information about your time and the place of birth. Very interesting. I appreciate that information. Now, Maureen, I've heard you bring up Carl Jung before, and, yeah. and I know that I know that um, she that our guest brought him up. So, do you know how he used astrology? Uh, yes, he would. You know, he back in the day when he was around, um, he would cast horoscopes. So, you know, he was a well-known psychologist. Everybody, I think, he knows that. Um, he would cast horoscopes of his patients and use them as uh, to help diagnose the problems. So he would make make a uh, a study of the relationships between the horoscopes of marriage partners. So in an interview in 1954, he said this: "There are many um, analogs analogies." <laughs> there goes my my Atlantan um, word thing, <laughs> um, which can be made between the horoscope and the character disposition. So there is even the possibility of certain predictive powers. The horoscope seems to correspond to psychic archetypes, and in modern man, in search of a soul, he wrote, quote, we are born at a given moment. This is a funny, because he uses this as a quote, by the way, um, Peg, in yeah. the planetary. We are born at a given moment, in a given place, and we like all the best lines of the quality of the year, the season, which witness our birth. So as Carl Jung recognized, astrology can be used as an important tool for self-growth and self-awareness. So this is one of the gifts of astrology, uh, you know, in his point of view. And the birth chart offers incredible insight to our personality and strengths and capabilities. So, you know, that was during a time period where him and Freud had broken up between each other and they were telling him, you know, Carl Jung was a cult and all this. But, you know, I really I really am into union. Anything union is, is great. All good for me. So, yeah. Very interesting. You, you know what else I find interesting? That's like the second or third time that you and I have not even spoken to each other, searching the Internet, finding a quote, and picking this quote. Have you noticed that? I know. It is interesting. It is the second That's time. Really That's very interesting. I know. Now, one of the questions that was asked, the question was asked by Julie, um, one of the things when I was studying for that uh, question at the Diotish, the, the, 
what is that? Jayotish, I apologize. Um, I found that, that uh, the Vedic astrology was in there. Uh, Anton, why is the Vedic astrology considered to be superior to Western astrology? And can you explain the differences between the two? Um, sure. Um, I'll keep it very brief because um, there are actually quite a few differences um, and it can become quite technical. Um, so, yeah, the, there's a number of important differences um, between Western or tropical astrology, as it's also known, and Vedic or sidereal astrology. Um, the, the main thing that you will notice, for instance, is that the charts for the two, two disciplines look very different. Um, so, you know, most of the listeners are probably familiar with the round shape of the Western chart, while the Vedic chart is square. If you are familiar with Western astrology, upon careful examination, the Vedic chart will appear to have planets aligned with the wrong constellations or signs. For example, suppose that according to Western astrology, your sun is in Capricorn. In the Vedic system, it could even be, be as in Sagittarius. So um, your rising sign and the other planets might also be in unfamiliar signs. Um, and you know, there are various other differences. For me personally, the main difference that, that, that is very important is the fact that Vedic astrology is generally considered to be a better form of predictive astrology because of its ability to predict events more precisely in the future. Um, in Vedic astrology, they, for instance, use your rising sign or ascendant um, much more. It's considered to be much more important uh, when they make, um, um, you know, these uh, predictions. Um, and um, they use uh, fixed star, uh, stars or constellations. And as a result, the astrologer uh, considers not only the influence of the planets, but they also consider the subtle influences uh, made by the, the other const you know, the constellations or the stars. And this means that when a planet passes through a sign, it expresses the influence of the sign and is also tempered by the influence of the constellations of that sign. Um, and to practice predictive astrology, one must be able to, to, to go deep into the subtle uh, influences of these uh, constellations. So, you know, it's generally um, um, where Western astrology emphasizes the, the psychological nature of an individual um, and it tends to look at our characteristics and, you know, our personality and all of that. It tends to lack reliability for predicting future cycles and events. And um, Although Vedic astrology also defines a person's psychological nature, it does give more focus to understanding when certain events are likely to take place. Um, Western astrologers who make a study of it often find themselves converting to Vedic astrology because of this greater scope and depth and accuracy for predicting the future. Um, and it seems to be a trend right now that more people are, um, you know, crossing over to, to the Indian astrology instead of the Western. Okay. I always find that your, your information is, is, is very intense, Anton. Thank you. We've come to the part of that show where we're going to be taking your calls and questions. You can either call in or ask a question in the chat room. The number that is for your free reading is 724-444-4851. That number again is 724 724- 444-4851 to get your call, your, your free reading. And please know that no one's going to answer your call. When your call comes in, you're going to be placed on hold automatically. So just simply listen and you'll be able to hear us. And from what I understand, guys, we do have a caller coming in from Tennessee. Hello, Tennessee. Fine. How are you, Steve? Have any insight or, or guidance that, that might help myself or other people that you know, see conventional doctors and are told, oh, it, this is in your mind. 
Oh, okay. Good question. Hang on. Hang on, Steve. The first thing I got when you were talking, Steve, is that uh, I almost feel it like in your bone, like it goes through your bone. Is that yes. correct? You feel it yeah. like through to the bone? Yeah, it's really deep. Yep. And uh, uh, have you ever done Reiki or, or energy work, energy healing, where you, you act, I actually, when I do that kind of work, I can feel it down to the bone, and that was the kind of sensation only li- more, um, somewhat more intense when, uh, when I kind of tuned into you. Is that what you feel? I mean, can you relate to that? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it feels very skeletal, so it, it's something that, it, it, times is quite debilitating i i get a lot of pain very deep in my in my my, my back um, my knees my 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 you know my bones as, as you as you said um i have uh, been thinking about getting some energy work done um i feel that um believe it or not sound therapy is going to be very helpful for you uh like music and things like that very calming kind of clearing music uh so i feel that that is going to be very key or very helpful to you have you tried that or has that you know you can try that and see how that works but it is going to be more on an energy level but i feel that sound sound is what's going to do the trick for you yeah, and move it, that, that move it through. Sense. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And in actual fact, I um, I used to play a lot of music, and I do I write to music. So I do different types of writing to different types of music. But um, I find that my energy flows really well when I've got music playing, particularly if I'm trying to write or um, and my music system hasn't been working for the last few months. <laughs> Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, I really should play more music, so it makes a lot of sense. Good, because that's what I feel, that's what I get for you, that that's going to be really important, has, believe it or not, something to do with this, so... If okay. you if you get that flowing again, you know, get into that groove. Yeah, actually, I'm getting. If you do that, you'll move. You'll be able to move forward, and it'll move through you and not get stuck in your bones so much. Okay, and in well, your body. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your insight. Um, You're welcome. I want to say to you too. I don't know why this is, but for some reason, I see you in water. Do you swim, or I mean, I feel like you're you're supposed to be in water. Yeah, well, it's, it's I I used to live right on the English Channel. Actually, I, I love water, and um, I was just saying to, to my family this afternoon, I haven't been swimming enough recently. I've been working really hard and just haven't spent enough time um, okay. swimming, which is something that I love to do. So that makes a lot of sense, and I definitely intend to do more. Okay, because I don't know why I don't know why that would help with the with the issues, but uh, what I'm coming through is seeing you in water, and it's funny you you mentioned the English Channel because I didn't see it as pool water. That's interesting you bring that up. So, you, but it doesn't mean that it's not pool water, but you should seriously think about putting in some physical activity in the water. Yeah, and yeah, not only that, remember that. sound travels yeah, in water much more sense. powerfully. So, if you're doing the sound therapy and going into the water, that because it's a great conductor, and um, I, that actually that. works. It's funny you were saying that. I didn't want to say this because it sounded so silly, but I, you know what a tuning fork is, right? Yeah. 
Okay, that's exactly... Uh, okay, I'm just going to say it. But I, say I, saw it. You, I saw you sitting in a pool underwater with a tuning fork and banging it on your hand. Doesn't that sound crazy? No, that is that's, really crazy. Because, yeah, sound therapy in an underwater is really that much more powerful. Oh, wow. Okay, I hadn't thought of that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, I just you mentioned showers. It's funny because I've been, I've been thinking to myself recently, I don't have time to lie in the bath and read a book and just relax. I always sort of have a very quick shower, so um, the water theme um, comes up a lot for me. And I also find that, that water just, 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 just really helps me to unwind um, and to get back in tune with myself. Yeah. There you go. It's Wonderful. healing. Well, thank you for your advice. Very good. Really appreciate all your expertise and insight. Thank you. Okay, we have a question in our our chat room, and it's from um, our our lovely uh, uh, regular Julie. She says, "Do you see new training for me, or am I going back to my previous employment?" If I remember correctly, hasn't she been hasn't she been out uh, on sick leave or something? I'm not sure, but I, I know, know she was asking. Go ahead. Oh, I'm you sorry. go. No, no, oh, please wait. do. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> well, you know, I immediately get, and I'm not sure about that. Uh, I'm sorry, Peg. You, you asked that question to Laura, and I interrupted like I do. But I, I immediately got something for Julie, and she, I, I feel that she's going through, I don't know if I said this last time she asked anything, but like an overthrow of everything that her belief system values. You know, I call it the tower stuff. And the, and it's not just about the tower card and tarot, but the tower stuff happens to some of us if we're brave enough to embrace it. And it's very tormenting. But it's like she's going through a slow change of rebuilding her foundation, which involves values, morals, belief system, all that stuff. And she's building it on her own terms, which is very positive, but it can be very uh, uncomfortable. So she, and I do see... I do see that she's going through almost like a phys- not a physical death, a spiritual death, which goes with the tower type of feeling. That from now she'll be able to come brand new. Okay, basically what it comes down to. I I get a feeling there's something new that she is heading towards, or would be best for her. Although it doesn't feel like it. I hope she follows me on that. Um, are you guys even following me on that? But there's some I- delay. Are you? Following well, I actually, yeah, because I get uh, actually I, uh, very much along your lines that she will not be training in something new and she will not be going back to her previous employment. So that falls in line with what you're saying. Yeah, and there's a delay of something. Of uh, There is a delay, and I mean, it, that's operative word, delay of uh, material money or something that comes that equals money. <laughs> Something is just a delay. It's something that is delayed that, that maybe in November you thought would come about, but it, it's just delayed, and, and it's all part of your the process and the work, I call it, which is, you know, what a bummer, but at least I'm not using the P word, like have per- patience and persevere. Just, <laughs> just, hang, in, just hang in there, too, because it's going to be fantastic um, when your, the work of this has been you know, settled and sorted. It's going to be fantastic for you. Yeah, really. I would, I would second that absolutely, Maureen. Yeah. Yes, I would just like to add that, um, Julie. Um, it's really time for you at this stage in your life to, to start maybe acting in more in your own self-interest, um, and that you set aside the concerns of other people. Um, 
you know, you, you need to think of your own needs um, at this stage and concentrate more on yourself. So um, it might even be good to, to, you know, just be a little bit more selfish um, because I'm also getting the sense that Julie is currently with her current employer or with her previous employment, um, she's in a situation where people are sort of, um, you know, there's, there's some sort of conflict or hostility going on that people are set against each other and that's almost like an us against them mentality. And, um, you know, Julie, don't don't concern yourself too much about what they expect, you know, or how they feel about it. You need to to look out for yourself and your own self interest. And I'm also getting that um, you will probably move in a direction in the future where you're going to do something more in line with what um, what you not what you have a passion for, with something that is more spiritually aligned with 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 who you are. I'm really getting this sense of making a spiritual connection um, in what you're doing. Um, and finding sort of your almost like your soul purpose or your life purpose in what you're doing, getting much closer to that. So um, yes, like Maureen said, just um, just go with the flow for now. Um, but I, I don't get the sense that you're going back to to where you came from. I, I have to I have to agree. I don't think she's going to go back to the same position. I don't think she should go back to the same position. I agree with you there, Anton. So I, I think that this is an opportunity, not a problem. So look at it as, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go yes. with your life? What training do you want to do? This is an open energy here for you, and I, I really don't feel like, well, I believe things happen for a reason, and, and you know, I'm sorry for the injury. She does say here that she was healing from a work injury, you know, and everything happens for a reason, my dear, and you know, maybe this is what it's about, shaking you out of that stuck place where you were and, and getting into something different, something new. So. Well, it's unfortunate, though. You know, the harder our pains and sorrow, are better rewards. But no one wants to go. <laughs> you know, your rewards will be coming from this, <laughs> definitely. But just hang in the uncomfortableness right now. You know, do you mind if I add something for Steve? Because I keep seeing it, and, and so I want to send it out to him. Sure. In the hopes that he's still listening. When he says he's in the bathwater and relaxing, which he needs to do, it would probably be a good idea to play music while he's in that yeah. environment. So I just wanted to make sure he says that. But I like, you know, when you said swimming, that moves that energy through his bones and, and throughout, you know, through the body and stuff like that, which is great. So the music, listening to the music, swimming, physical exercise, but when he's in the bath, also uh, listen to music that he really loves and enjoys that it moves through him it moves him and moves through him well I just thought it was interesting that I saw him I, I can't remember the movie anymore but it reminded me of the movie where the guy's sitting at the bottom of the pool I think it must be Percy Jackson or something anyway that's what I saw him doing and he has a tuning fork and he's coming <laughs> his hand underwater and I remember as a kid taking rocks underwater and clicking together because the sound was very very different than when, it, when you weren't out, weren't in the water you know right but that might be the energy there that we're feeling for him so yeah Laura I know you have some information on the archae um, archetypal meaning of or lesson for each zodiac sign could you share that with us yeah I would love to do that in fact I would highly recommend this book. It's called Archetypes of the Zodiac. It's written by Kathleen Burt. And I'm going to go through the basic archetypes of each sign. But if you get the book and you read it, there's tremendous depth in each archetype. And you'll get something from each and every one. It's really, an, it's probably one of my favorite books on the subject because of that. It's very deep and really... Um, 
it's not just mundane, it's excellent. So with that, the first thing I wanted to talk about is what is an archetype? According to Carl Jung and a study of his psychological works, an archetype is an instinctual pattern of behavior contained in the collective unconscious and it's transcendent. The archetypes transcend the individual and have an independent form of existence on the collective level. So with that, I'm going to go through each sign. And the archetype, the archetypal meaning for Aries has to do with the search for a separate identity to be an individual. For Taurus, the search is for value and meaning. For Gemini, it's the search for variety. For Cancer, it's the search for the mother goddess. For Leo, it's the search for being and wholeness. For Virgo, it's the search for meaningful service. Libra, it's the search for a soulmate. For Scorpio, it's the search for transformation. Sagittarius, it's the search for wisdom. And Capricorn is the search for Dharma. Now, just so that you know, Dharma is defined as an essential quality or character as of the cosmos or one's own nature or conformity to religious law, custom duty, or one's own quality or character. So Dharma has a lot to do with your inner quality and character, okay, your own nature. So it's a search for Dharma. And that's why it kind of translates into law, custom, duty for Capricorn and so forth, or one's own quality or character. Now for Aquarius, it's a search for the Holy Grail. And for Pisces, it's the search for the Castle of Peace. And all of those, when you go through each one of those and you read them separately, you can relate to each one of them. That's what I really loved about it, because they each hold a piece of the pie to the whole. And uh, when it comes to our charts, you know, there's some part of us that can relate, usually, I find, to each one. So I thought that was really, it was, it's very deep, actually, when you read it, and it's wonderful. I get a lot. It's like soul food. So I get a lot out of that. I, I agree with you. I, I appreciate that energy that you just gave with that, because I didn't, I didn't know those things. That's very interesting. I'll have to get that book. Yeah. Maureen, Great. you said that reading your daily sun sign, it, you know, it can be fun, but it's not a chart. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you have to say about that? Well, you know, th this is the way I look at it. I mean, isn't it lovely that even my father, the business corp, you know, well, he's an old man, but, you know, business corp, everybody reads, I mean, everybody reads their, except I don't because I don't read the paper, but <laughs> everybody, everybody's reading their daily sun sign and they're all going by it. You know, the way I look at it, if I, if I do read it or in a little, the little paper here in my little town I live in, if, it, if I like what it says, sure, it makes sense to me. <laughs> If I don't, I don't believe in any of that. But um, I don't believe in anything, actually, remember. But it, it's not a chart. And everybody needs to understand because somebody, really, some people really take it to heart what it means. And, and they'll run with it through the day. I've noticed they take it too seriously. And also, I feel if you're going to read it at all, you should really read your rising sign, at least. With right. It. If, you, if you know it, it's very easy to get your rising sign. You so, know what? Can I share something with you about the rising sure. sign? 
uh, I used to study, this is many, many years ago, when I lived in South Africa back in the 80s, I studied uh, esoteric astrology. And the really neat, interesting thing about the rising sign, even though in mundane astrology, it, like Anton said, it has to do with our personality, how we project ourselves out into the world. In esoteric astrology, it reflects our soul purpose. So, depending on what level you're looking at it from, you know, a deeper level or just everyday life, it can actually, the ascendant can have an amazing, uh, um, importance, you know, when you look at it in a deeper sense. So when you, if you want to look at, when you read your horoscopes, you can kind of read it from that perspective. Look at your sun sign, your moon sign, your ascendant. And look at it from the personality side and the sole purpose side. I really think that's very, it, it's interesting when you do that. Because you get a variety of perspectives on, you know, what it can mean, what it could mean for you. And what your potentials and abilities or whatever are. It's neat. Mm -hmm. I was interested this evening when she said, um, when our guest Lynn Coiner said, did you hear what she suggested there somewhere around the end? She suggested that no matter what, if you don't understand it, it doesn't matter. Get your natal chart done and start studying who you are. Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. I, I've been saying that for, for like years. And I, I'm telling you guys, I was just so taken with this woman. And we chatted for an hour in the, in the pre-interview thing, you know. Um, and she's just got so, I mean, my notes are all over the place. But she wow. really had some interesting things to say to that. And I found... I found her lack, listen to this, I found her lack of connection to what everyone else is saying about 2012 very interesting. And she yes. said, said she does, she's not one, her first words out of her mouth when I asked her was, she's not one of the fear mongers that races after that fear. So Right. It seems like most of the people we've come in contact with, you, everybody, I, I think you would agree, are on the same side of what we're talking about. Right. 2012 issue. You know, also, I wanted to bring up, uh, in the in my back in the in my day, could have been yesterday, but this was way back, <laughs> twenty five years ago. I I really I, I self taught myself, and that was during that time there was no, you know, generated computer, you know, generated anything, and it would take me a long time, and I it take me a month to do someone's chart. But I used, I love it. I have these charts, and it was amazing what I learned, how it universally it all. Everything meshes all numerology, all tarot, and st everything goes together. It all just comes together. And I I miss some of those days. And now, I like I said, I can never do a chart like that again because it's so time-consuming. But I, I would I just loved it. And I would do, I'd put it on an audio tape for somebody and then I'd do my um, artwork with the, the chart wheel. And, but the calculating of it was incredibly hard and I learned so much and I those were the days but now I do have a, a, a I do on my site as a matter of fact I bought something a matrix which is a generated report you know those are okay but it's still not the same either and I want people to know this it is not the same um, it's, it's kind of I have a real good um, matrix report thing program but it is not the same as like myself doing it interpreting it because I give my little insightful intuitive take on it as well well I got, yeah. overwhelmed. I got overwhelmed the very first time I got my birth chart done and a friend of mine did it for me it, 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 guys I'm not kidding you it was as thick as an encyclopedia okay wow. and it was, I still have it somewhere in a box 
but I started, I got, I got really overwhelmed with all of the symbols and the meanings and oh, but I've, I've honed it down and I've got it to a place now where I can understand certain things and what the symbols mean. It's all the symbols. It's really easy to read it after you know what the symbols mean. So it's right. Very, it's, and I'm, and I'm, I'm considered a triple Pisces. I've got, you know, and so my moon, when you my, say triple. my, my sun sign, my moon and my rising. Wow. That's incredible. I'm a T sign. <laughs> <laughs> We're all square, right? Well, no, I have the, what do they call it? Um, maybe Anton, you might know what this is. 90 degree? No, I have a T, a T, um. T square? T square. T square, Yeah. T, yeah. I think Anton might be familiar with it. If not. No, I'm not, Marina. I'm not, I'm not much well, of an have, expert. Okay, what it means is that I'm all that and then so. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what else I found interesting? Is when she was talking about the the two hours in the day. I, I I went I went to her site and I actually read a few of her papers this last week. But when she was talking about those two hours in the day when our psychic abilities are at the at the height. Yes. I'm, I'm going to go and study more of that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I know. I want to. I want to listen. I will probably go back and listen to the archive and catch more of that. But I thought that was also very interesting. Did any of you ever see, um, uh, there's a video on YouTube um, uh, that's um, about an experiment they did with uh, the Vedic astrologer um, Jeffrey Armstrong, um, where he was, um, he did it with the well-known skeptic um, Michael Shermer. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Um, I think I'm going to maybe, you know, uh, send you the link. Um, But it was very interesting. They actually had a group of people that um, Jeffrey Armstrong have never met, and um, he did um, he did their charts, and um, uh, he never met them. He never spoke to them. Nothing. He basically just had their their dates, you know, and and the place of birth. I don't think he even had a name. And um, they they recorded, you know, his um, his findings, and then they actually played the video to these people um, in a group session. Um, but what they did at first is what was amazing is they swapped some of them around. So they switched them between the different people so that they assigned some of them to the wrong people. And they would tell them, okay, well, the next one is your, um, is your chart that he's talking about. But it was actually somebody else's. And it was very interesting that the, the ones they swapped around, all the people responded very negatively. They said, you know, that's just not me. Nothing of it rings true. And I think his accuracy with that was around 20% or something like that, 20, 30%. But then later on, when they corrected it and they played it again to everyone and they told them, well, this is your actual one, um, they, they, they then found that the accuracy rose to about 80 to 90 percent, which, um, is really fascinating. It was all done, you know, very controlled and everything. So, um, that's something you you can maybe look into. Um, it's a video on YouTube and it's with uh, Jeffrey Armstrong and Michael Shermer. Um, it's very interesting to watch. Wow. Yeah, that like is see. interesting. Yes, very. It's been an interesting show, actually. Everything's gone very well. Mm-hmm. It has. Do you know, I don't know if you want to hear about some of the minor asteroids. Did you want to hear about some of that? Sure, go ahead. You wanted to, Okay. Well, I just thought this was interesting because you hear mostly, when you hear about asteroids, you hear about the major ones, which are important. But just some key phrases in the minor asteroids I thought I'd kind of share with everybody. An asteroid uh, by the, uh, called Psyche 
is uh, refers to the capacity to be psychically sensitive to another person. Eros refers to in our chart refers to our capacity for vitality and passion. Lilith refers to our capacity to constructively release repressed anger and resolve conflict. Toro is the capacity to use and control power. Sappho refers to our capacity for romantic and artistic sensitivity. Amor is about our capacity for spiritual or platonic love and compassion. Pandora refers to our capacity for curiosity, which initiates change. Icarus is our capacity for liberation and risk-taking. Diana refers to our capacity for survival and self-protection. Hidalgo is our capacity for self-assertion in defense of principles. Urania refers to our capacity for inspired knowledge. And Chiron is our capacity for holistic understanding. You'll often hear people refer to Chiron. I'm not sure if I remember Lynn referring. She, she said so much. I can't remember if she said anything about Chiron because she mentioned other things. But Chiron is often considered important as well. And these are all agents of transformation, you know, and awareness. So I just thought I'd share that quickly. Well, thank you very much. And this brings us to the end of yet another awesome show. And I wish to thank my co-hosts for being so supportive. And I'd also like to thank my guest, Lynn Corner, for being here with us and everybody in the chat room. It's been a wonderful, wonderful show. Next week's show will be anchored by Maureen. What can we look forward to next week? Okay, yes. Um, electronic voice phenomena. is EV, EVP is the short version. Um, this is electric, electronically generated noises that resemble speech but are not the result of intentional voice recording, recordings or renderings. Common sources of EVT include static, stray radio, transmissions, and background noise. So some have claimed that these sounds are paranormal origin. So next week, the electronic medium is the title, and um, uh, my dear friend, and he's one of my... Um, fellow host at PTN. He's author and researcher Stephen Hill, known as the electronic medium. Uh, because of his ability to give spirit of voice using the EVP and ITC devices such as Joe's Box. He also has a new novel, Something Unseen, in which chronicles his journey as a paranormal investigator who begins his research while investigating his own hauntings. Um, also, and so that will be very interesting. I, I think you all want to come and check that out because it's, it's an up-and-coming new thing. I mean, more than that is getting out there. Also, I would like um, to let let everybody know that next week we will be welcoming Steve Frampton as our fourth new co-host to the show. As this was Anton's last show with us, and Anton, we are very sad to see you go, but but we understand that you have many other responsibilities apart from this show. Um, yes, Maureen. Unfortunately, the time has come for me to, to bid you guys farewell. Um, as you know, I was recently appointed as the International Marketing Director for Psychic Access, which has really increased my workload uh, considerably, um, you know, in recent months. And also my private practice has also expanded to such an extent over the past year that I'm now fully booked for, you know, in-person consultations months in advance. And I'm not actually taking any new clients because I already have a waiting list, um, you know, for private 
private sessions. So although I really loved doing the show, I unfortunately had no choice but to prioritize and make some changes. Um, of course, I will still be around, and uh, I'm still available for readings at Psychic Access uh, on a daily basis. So this is actually just a goodbye. It's not a farewell, but it was wonderful to be a part of this amazing show, and I will certainly miss um, doing it with you guys. And of course, I will listen. I will continue to listen every week. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope so. And we're going to miss you, Anton, and the best in all your future projects. And you can send anybody that um, wants a reading over to me. <laughs> well, you're a bit, you're a little bit too far geographically, unfortunately. Oh, no, Otherwise, I would have done that. <laughs> well, okay, I can ask for fly. And we will certainly miss having you on our show, definitely. So, also, we welcome. Um, so there you have it, Anton. So that was a lovely. It's not farewell, like you said, it's not. But we welcome you to submit any questions you may have about um, uh, psychics, it would, you know, like how much you love us, or just or about the show for next week. Just click on the Contact Us link on our website at psychicaccesstalkradio.com. And please visit us at http colon slash slash psychicaccess.com. There's an outstanding diverse group of professional and experienced psychics. As four of us as well are over there, available 24-7. And new clients get a free six-minute reading. So until next week, bless your hearts. And from Alora, thank you for being with us tonight. I look forward to having you with us again next week. Anton, we're going to miss you. I wish you the very best of success. And um, God bless to everyone, and have a great week. And from me, Anton St. Martin, may the energy of the divine self inspire you and the light of the soul direct you until we meet again. Namaste.